Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Never Seen It. This is a podcast where we watch movies that we haven't seen yet. I'll be your host today. My name is Betsy, and with me, as per usual, is Trent. You're the captain now. I am the captain now. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, folks. If you haven't figured it out already, we are moving on in Thanksgiving to the 2010s to... Yet another Oscar-nominated performance for Tom Hanks, we are watching Captain Phillips. And I am the host this episode because I have seen this movie and Trent has not. Not yet. Now, this is one of the movies that was nominated for Best Picture this particular year. Yep. And Trent and I, every single year, watch all the Best Picture nominees. But 2013 predates this tradition. So you saw some of the movies this year. But not this one, and you just haven't gotten around to it. I think we went through the list here, and I think I watched all but one or two from this year. And this was when you were very much committed to watching all of them by hook or by crook. (laughs) Which is a weird choice that I made after they expanded the category. I don't know why I waited until it was nine movies, ten movies. Yeah, up to ten. Because five's a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) But I was doing this, you were not, so I have seen this movie. But what do you know about Captain Phillips? I mean, besides the main line that everybody knows from the movie, it is based on a real event and a real guy. There's a dude by the name of Phillips. He's the captain of a, I think, a container ship that gets uh, taken over by pirates, Somalian pirates. And I remember this event actually happening. It was all over the news. And the eventuality was that C- uh, I think it was SEAL Team 6 came in and took, uh, took out the pirates eventually. But Captain Phillips, the captain of this here boat... He was taking care of business on the boat while the pirates were there. And the movie is about his heroism, his life, and whatever happened on the boat. That's my understanding here. And we had one of two choices, basically, from this decade that we were looking at watching. And either one, he was going to be a captain because the other one was Sully. (laughs) Both movies based on real events. Yeah, and real people. And real tragedy. Right, and like... I'm going to be a little bit more cynical when it comes to this decade because I'm feeling like Tom Hanks has gotten to the point in his career in the early 2000s where he can just take the paycheck. He can just go and take whatever money that people are going to throw at him. He's going to put in a good performance, of course, because he's Tom Hanks, but he's not challenging himself. Well, I guess we'll find out with this one because yeah. you haven't seen it. Yeah, and, and of course, I'm the reason why I didn't want, want to see it in the first place was because I thought it was going to be a really cheesy and maybe like very saccharine take on this uh, the, on this real life event, and I just wasn't interested in it because I don't need a dramatization of something that I kind of knew about already. And unlike you, I was not watching the news as much as I probably should have been in those days. So I had no idea what this was when they made it into a movie. I'm like, okay. Like, I've never heard of this guy. I don't know what this story is. And I've only seen it the once. So I watched it because it was a prerequisite of the (laughs) Best Picture nominees that year. But I have not revisited it. So I don't honestly remember too much about this one apart from, look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. Of course. But everybody knows that. If, yeah, if and people... that, moment, that moment has been parodied so many times and it's been just made fun of in general. I just don't really have any high expectations for the movie itself. I'm sure he's going to be fine and we'll talk about that after we watch it. But from me 
coming in here wanting to watch an entertaining movie, I'm not really expecting to have a great time, honestly. Well, I'm not. Well, let's find out. We're going to go and watch Captain Phillips, and we will be right back. Yet another movie where Tom Hanks finds himself on a little boat in the massive, massive ocean. (laughs) That was Captain Phillips. Trent, what did you think of that one? Boy, am I glad that SEAL Team 6 is on our side. (laughs) Uh, There need to be more stories about those guys. It it is fucking intense how how they operate. But anyway, so the movie, Um, as expected. It was going to be this big roller coaster ride of very much a thriller, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And th- this movie is three parts, okay? It is two parts intensity from two different sections and one part Tom Hanks, okay? The first part of intensity is just the cacophony of the Somali language being yelled and screamed to all of the people on this boat who don't know what they're saying. And it is this confusing and very tense. Uh, situation the other part of intensity is the music now i would say half of this movie and its excellence if you want to call it that comes from the score that adds into all this tension oh yes this composer had a big job yeah there is score beneath almost every minute of this fucking movie yeah and it's the music that really keeps you engaged and you know if you are letting the movie like suck you in it is going to carry you the entire way up until you finally get that that release at the very end. Were you carried with it? No, I was not. Because I thought the music was a little bit too much for me based on what was actually happening on screen. It did not fit, and I think they went too big with it. You felt they were trying to manipulate you. Yes, yes, I, I absolutely do. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm saying for me, it didn't keep me all the way because I feel like a lot of the stuff in the movie was kind of extraneous. There's so many different extra shots of like the boat and the engines and everything having to do with this big ass boat that did not contribute to the rest of the movie. Well, I genuinely, like I said, have seen this movie one time. Yeah. And I'm watching this movie this go around realizing I don't remember the last third of this movie. So I remembered they're on the boat and they get on this big container ship. I completely blocked out the fact they take him hostage and he is on a tiny little raft with them for God knows how long. Yeah. That was completely lost on me. And I think watching it this time, it's good. I think this is a good movie. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go so far as to call this a great movie. But you know what I would call this, Trent? What? This is a dad movie. Yeah. This is a movie our dads would like because it is military and it's action and it's tense. And it's not that complex. Like, you know who the bad guys are and the good guys are. Yep. And the good guy wins in the end. But this is the kind of thing that our dads, if it was on, would probably enjoy. And I I think a part of a good dad movie has some kind of modicum of realism. And in this case, it is 
I mean, it's not 100% real, but it is based on real events. Yeah, I don't know the actual fact from fiction, what they're playing up for the case of the movie. Yeah, there are a few things that I read about this that were completely fictionalized. Of we'll, course! We'll, we'll get into that. But yes, the dad movie uh, portion of this entire conversation is that, okay, yes, it is, you know, kick-ass military guys coming to save the day, and they're barking orders at each, at each other, and they're, they're there to save the day, and then they get to go home. You know, nobody dies except the bad guys. Exactly. Everybody who is the, quote, good guy, lives to the end. Yeah. But I will say that the guy who is playing the Somali captain, the leader, Barkadi Abdi, yeah. he is playing it with empathy. Like, there are moments where you're like, shit, this guy's life really sucks. And he, like, he has that moment where he says, nope, I've come too far. I've yeah. come too far. I can't turn back now. To the degree that, yes, he's still going with it. He's still a bad guy. But you almost feel bad for him. He's not a bad guy. He's doing a bad thing. He's there, a, he's an okay, troubled guy yeah. doing a bad thing. Yeah. And, and I think that's why you get the introduction of this entire, like, tribe, if you want to call it that. I really don't know what other, what other word to use. But you see all these people on the mainland of Somalia. And they're dirt poor. They're very uh, malnourished. And... You know, they're bringing a bunch of, you know, young guys together because they're all young guys. They don't get to be old people. There's only one old guy in the entire group. This is a common story in a lot of parts of Africa where yes. there is some bad warlord, thug, somebody is in charge, making everybody's lives miserable. Yeah. And you just are, you are forced to decide Either you're going to die by their hand or you're going to play along. Yeah, and some dumbass gets the idea, hey, we're going to become pirates this week, so we're going to go after these container ships. What? With, with what fucking army are you going to actually do this? Now, I understand that companies who do uh, shipping like this, they have insurance policies. They pay into it every single month, and they expect a certain modicum of risk. By going into these waters, it's it just comes with the territory, which is why these captains and these crew members know what to do. There are mechanisms for these guys to be able to fight them off, quote unquote, but they're not there to take a bullet for somebody else's cargo. Really? No, the the guys at the beginning who say I didn't sign up for this shit. Yeah. When Captain Phillips tells him, okay, well, we'll sign the paperwork, we'll do all that, but you're not going to do it until mm -hmm. we get to our destination. So it doesn't matter if you've got problems, you're here now. Yeah, and I imagine that the reason why they have the $30,000 in cash is for just this occasion. Yeah, th that's why, a lot of chump change. Like, <laughs> Why else would you need that amount of cash on board if not for just for that? There's really no reason. I mean, unless you have some kind of uh, petty cash situation where, hey, if you get into trouble and you have to, you know, park the big ass ship at, <laughs> at the nearest port. Pull it over and pay the parking fee. Pretty much. Pretty much. So I have to imagine that that is there for some kind of reason. And they know that they can use, like, they volunteer that money. We to have these it. Guys. We have a safe. We know how much is in it. Yeah. And it's yours. You can have it. Just get off our boat, please. <laughs> it, They're being nice about it. The concept is interesting. The fact that these four guys, four, yeah. yes, they are armed and clearly willing to go to some extreme length, that four guys think they can take over a container ship. Now, I didn't know when we would get to this part of the conversation, so I'm taking us there now. Okay. I, between the time of watching this the first time 
and the time I'm watching this now have changed careers. And the career yes. I now have is heavily involved in this particular thing. Like cargo literally ships, cargo shipping ships, lines. shipping yep. containers. I'm looking at this going, I know that shipping line. I work <laughs> with them every day of my life. <laughs> and so it's, there's a lot of elements of, like in the billing, some of them have like war surcharges. Like if they are yeah. taking containers from one place to another and they know there is a risk that shit like this yep. can happen. Extra risk and it means extra money that has to be paid because your insurance rates just go up because yeah. you're in these waters, period. Oh, yeah. And it's been fascinating hearing all the stories about, you know, you wouldn't think they could lose track of a 40-foot shipping container, but it happens. And sometimes stuff falls off board. Literally, sure. they they Rough have seas. it. They have it out in the middle of the ocean, and the ship tilts. But these ships are fucking massive. Yeah, uh, they are. This enormous. is a tiny one. So again, in I'm, comparison, I'm telling you, forty foot containers, and they've got like maybe three rows mm -hmm. lengthwise, and then another like four wide. And this, like you said, is a small one. Mm -hmm. I've seen some pictures of really enormous ones, and it's fucking insane i've never seen these in person but i yeah. watching it this time was like damn i really wish i could see this in the flesh <laughs> to really comprehend what i do for a living right. and everybody remembers back in I, th I think it was in 2020 when one of the really big shipping containers got stuck in that big ass canal yeah, that's a really, really big one. This is a tiny guy. This is a little dinky dude. Yeah, and what's what's really strange, Betsy, and if we if we can just have a little conversation <laughs> with with just ourselves here, nobody's listening. Nobody's right? listening. I also work in transportation. I don't deal with in ships and like uh, overseas shipments or anything like that. I I also am in this world. You know the lingo. I know a lot of the lingo. And basically, I work with truck drivers. I don't work for an actual trucking company. I'm a third-party broker. But anyway, I talk to truck drivers and carriers every single day. And at no time would a driver ever take matters into their own hands for somebody else's shit. Like, they're going to protect the truck that they own and maybe the trailer, but inside, fuck it. You can have it. We got insurance for that shit. We had this conversation when we covered the Fast and the Furious because yeah. in the very first one, at the end of the movie, the truck drivers are like shooting at the gang. Yeah, they all get shotguns and start shooting the and guys you're like, who are trying to- no. No. No, they will just pull over and let them have whatever's in the truck. Exactly. It's not worth it. But this is a massive- fucking ship and they say there's what 20 guys on the crew yeah 20 guys running the ship it is not easy like they can literally shut the whole thing down from below decks and then these pirates are like what's going on what's happening yeah you need them to run the ship how how do you possibly think this was going to end these four guys are gonna take control of this ship and do what with it right like, that's the part that just blows my mind. The balls that you had to even try it. And I like the fact that they actually talk about what's on the manifest. Okay, we got we got uh, food relief. We've got, you know, fuel. We got... Water. Water. We got just basic shit. things. It's a bunch is, of shit. Yeah, there's not, like, luxury cars on board no. or anything that is actually worth anything because those ones go on the bigger ships that are more well-insured. This isn't that. No, this is a very small, comparatively speaking, right. container ship. So these guys are coming on board, basically trying to get insurance money. They're going after ransom 
they're holding this. They're not planning on going off and like selling the product that's on on board. No. How would they drive this ship and offload it? They can't. The logistics don't make any sense. They can't. And I totally believe that when this other leader guy is saying, oh, yeah, I, I, I took one of these ships and I got six million dollars. He's just blowing smoke. He's never he's never actually been successful. And if he was, he never would have gotten six million dollars. And I just kept thinking, well, shit, then what the hell are you doing what here? What the fuck are you doing with six million dollars in Somalia? Are you kidding me? If you were successful, you would never go back to Somalia. Yeah. You would take that ship and you'd get to the nearest country that you could. Yeah. And you'd get the hell you out would, of there. You would come to America and start an actual trucking company because there are so many Somali Americans who are running trucking companies now. It is ridiculous. Well, let's talk about that. So the actor who plays yep. this character, mm-hmm. he actually, I don't know if he still does, but at the time this movie was being made, lived in Minneapolis because yes. there's a huge Somali population Absolutely. that have fled just this situation mm-hmm. and- I don't know why Minneapolis, but that is where a lot of them have become centrally located. And he was a driver. He had never acted. He had no intention of becoming an actor. They had an open call looking for specifically Somali. They needed people who spoke the language. Mm -hmm. And he got this role and got nominated for an Academy Award for it. He got paid 65 grand to come in. Scale, basically. (laughs) Yeah, basically. He came in. He did his job. And by the end, he said, oh, I'm just going to go back and work for my brother's cell phone company. That's all he, that that's all he was expecting here. He thought this was a one-off experience and he'd be like, "Cool, I made a movie with Tom Hanks." Right. And then he'd go back to I it. I got a year's salary in yeah. one go. He never expected to get a nomination. He never expected to keep acting. He's still acting. I thought, "Oh god, this is going to be one of those situations where he's just going to return to the life he led." Nope. Sure. He's actually had an okay career. He's made some TV shows, some movies. Yeah. Weirdly with a couple of the people who are in this. So I assume there's like a connection with the director or something. I don't know. I just was scrolling through some of the other credits and I saw the same thing pop up a few times for different people. I think he also did something related to, hey, he's also a Somali pirate over in this movie. And they referred to the taking (laughs) of this container ship. Of course they did. (laughs) So yeah, this guy, he got nominated for Academy Award. How do you feel about that? Well, he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor, of course. Yes. Uh, Tom Hanks got nominated for Best Lead Actor. And I would say, of the two, I would say maybe both of them do deserve it. Because we'll get into Tom Hanks in a little while here. But the main, but, but, but the other guy, you know, he, he did his job. He, he, I think he did it as well as he possibly could under the circumstances. Because this is really hard work. To be on this boat and be on this uh, this life raft or whatever you want to call it. A claustrophobic filming situation extreme, is what I call it's it. It's extremely difficult to do, especially with, you know, a big crew and you're, you've never done this before. And you're expected to perform Literally, at, a, at a very high level. He has never acted a day in his life yeah. before this movie. And as I said, I think there are degrees to what he is doing. And you believe his situation mm-hmm. and... I I feel bad for him. And, you know, you said there's a few moments in this movie where he's talking about, you know, I, I always wanted to go to America. I always wanted to go to America. I mean, what's worse, living the situation that he is in where he's being forced into piracy or he has to go and be in prison in America? Well, you got your wish. 
You get to yeah. go to America, not maybe the way you wanted to, but is it really that much worse than the situation yeah. he's in? And, and there are layers to this character because, you know, he's he's also playing a role here because... He is trying to convince Captain Phillips that he isn't going to hurt him. Everything's going to be okay. Because I think that he has been told, he's been trained on how to do this. How to be a captor. He's absolutely been told how, how this works. How to if, handle it. If you take someone hostage, this is what you do. You got to tell them in the most calm voice that you can that we're not going to hurt you. We we're, This is just business. And he keeps on repeating these lines in order to get it across. Now, do you believe him? Early on, yes, I did. I expected them to get on board, take what they could, take the money, and then leave. But things got out of hand, people started getting hurt, and it just is a snowball effect. And by the end, like you said, he says, this is too far gone. I have to get you back because there's no other way that I get out of this alive. I have to keep going. Yeah. I'm in too deep. At the end, he's still even believing that he's going to get what he wants yeah. like they convince him we're gonna take you on the boat we're bringing the elders we're yeah. gonna, and he just says no tricks no tricks okay yeah. i'm gonna go and i'm gonna talk to you and then he's standing there and he knows enough english to understand what's going on these guys i don't know how they learned it i don't know why they speak english other than maybe this exact scenario that's the american culture is exported everywhere fair enough it's yeah but yeah he's standing there and he's still got a level of trust that they're going to do what they say. I, Even though the guys on the boat are like, they're fucking lying to us right. and we're all going to die. Yeah. And I think the reason why he kind of accepts that to a point is because when they initially go out there, when the military goes out there initially with their video cameras, they're capturing as much information. They're gathering intelligence to try to identify everybody on that boat. So, when the SEALs come in, they can tell them the information, they can run all the faces through their database, and match up these names with these faces. So, when the actual negotiator shows up, he says, you're this guy, you're this guy, you're this guy, you're this guy, you're underneath this warlord in Somalia, we know everything about you, we've already contacted your elders, they're gonna be on board here shortly, and we're gonna negotiate this shit. We've got information, so yeah. clearly we're telling the truth. Also, I'm going to pat your head a little bit and say, we're going to get you your money because we just don't want Captain Phillips, you know, his dead body is strewn about the, the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, we don't want that on our hands, so yeah. we're going to talk to you and get it done. Exactly. But of course, they call in the Navy SEALs, and this is a moment of... This this movie is the definition of fuck around and find out. Yeah. <laughs> like, you want to you wanna take... A captain hostage you want to go down this road yeah and you don't want to surrender guess what yeah the, these guys do not fuck around these guys are the epitome of professionalism and proficiency <laughs> they are very very good at what they do when they finally get a shot and they take it to end this whole thing yeah they then just get up like nothing happened yeah and it, pack up and go home it's a boom 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 targets down Fold up your rifle, get out of here, go back home. Yep, it's all yours, mission, boys. Mission accomplished, let's Peace go out. home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're there for a whole, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely forgot that that's how this ended. I just didn't remember that that was the sequence of events because, again, I didn't remember the actual news story. Yeah, that's the thing. I knew that SEAL Team 6 was very much involved in getting him out of there. 
I did not know that there was a lot of stuff that led up to that where you had fucking American warships showing up and towing the, the, the lifeboat, which again is just a way he's either they're telling him, yeah, we're going to, we're going to help you on a, we know that you're running out of fuel. So we're just going to tow you into Somalia and you can go about your merry way. When in reality, they have an ulterior motive. Reason why they're hooking up to him is so that they can control their speed and they can control their movements. Jostle him about if they have to. They can jostle him about or they can slow him down and get him stationary so that sniper bullets can go into your skulls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we've covered those guys. Let's talk about Tom Hanks since he's the whole reason for the season, as it were. Indeed. So at the beginning of the movie... It's again kind of the castaway thing where he is at home and he is going on a trip. You were like, he better not say I'll be right back. (laughs) We've seen this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And Catherine Keener is there for one scene. She plays his wife and then we don't see her anymore because all her scenes got cut, which I think is fine because in the context of the movie, the flow of the movie, I didn't need like interspersed scenes of her like panicking at home. Right. Like it's not going to add anything. We know that she got a phone call from the U.S. government. And that she's going to freak out and she's going to get a call from him after he's all better and rescued. Right. So he gets on a plane, he flies to Oman, he gets on his boat, and then it gets there pretty quickly. Like, they're on the water just a little bit. He's, mm-hmm. like, getting little hints. Oh, the uh, the gates aren't locked, and I'm getting emails that there's, you know, piracy happening. Yeah, he's getting warnings that, be hey, aware. there's a lot of piracy activity in the area, by the way, so be on the lookout for that. So, yeah, Tom Hanks is doing an accent, he is from Vermont. Yeah. There so isn't a New England accent kind yeah. of thing happening here. So he's doing that. And then it's all pretty straight laced and subtle. The first chunk of the movie. Like he is just, hey guys, your coffee break done. Like turn up yeah, the engines. He's kind of a hard ass. Someone come over here. Someone yeah. go over there. Let's do a drill. It's all very even keel. And then even as they board the ship, he says, all right, there's four guys. They're on the ship. Get ready. Follow procedure. Good luck. Follow procedure. Yep. This is how we do things. Separate out, find your hidey holes, and we'll take them out as we can. And so he keeps it together the whole movie. And there are moments where the intensity is building and he's sweating and stressed out and, you know, a little bit nervous. He's also trying to, like lead them over to a different area where he knows that his crew are not. But, you know, the leader says, you know what? No, we need to go over here because this is where where a good hiding spot would be. We need to find this crew. Mm -hmm. And when they get to the place where he's able to convince them, get on the lifeboat, we'll give you the money, you can get out of here. We know you don't have a boat now. We'll help you. Like, just get off the ship. And he's telling his guys, we need to get them off of this boat. And it doesn't matter how we do it. We just Mm -hmm. need them to leave. And he gets forced onto the lifeboat with them. But he's even saying, okay, I'm going to show you how to drive it. Pump the handle, do this. He's so even keel. And it is not until the very, very end of the movie where he knows the SEAL team is coming in. And when they shoot the three guys Mm -hmm. and he is tied up and he is blindfolded and he is screaming and crying that this is a whole different Tom Hanks what he is doing here. Like, I don't often see him in movies where he is terrified. He's helpless. He is helpless and terrified. And then when the guys get taken out and he doesn't know what happened, he's literally covered in their blood, just 
like, what was that? What was that? I don't know what's going on. Right. Somebody talk to me. And at the very last scene, he's got absolute shock. He is yes. in shock and he is trying to answer the woman's questions. Yes. And he's crying and he is barely holding it together. There is such a turn that I'm like, okay. Here's where I see it. This is what earns him an Oscar nomination for this movie. 100%. This scene of him in the infirmary got me tearing the fuck up. I did not expect to have that reaction to any part of this movie. Yeah, that's why I say he deserves the Oscar nomination at the very least. Because if he can get that kind of reaction out of me for a movie that I didn't expect anything from, good on you. And this is the very end of the movie. So at this yes. point, you've pretty much made your opinion. You know what's going on here. Yeah. Okay, this is how I feel about this movie. And this is how I feel about that actor, this character. And then he pulls that one out. It's like, yeah. God damn it. This is why he's one of the greats. This is why Tom Hanks continues to get nominated. Is he ever going to win again? Hard to say. He's been nominated for a lot since he won two in a row. But he continues to perform. And that's what's so amazing about it. Mm -hmm. And I said in the intro that, oh, yeah, this is just Tom Hanks, you know, taking a paycheck. He's going to do the easy film because this is about a real guy, about one specific event that happened in real life. He did it twice with this one and Sully. So, you know, it's kind of expected that he would take a role like this. Now, I'm not saying that because I think that he's just going to phone it in. Absolutely not. I fully trust that Tom Hanks is going to put in his level best in everything that he does. So that's not me like dismissing him. This is me understanding the industry and like where he is in his uh, in his career. Oh, he's gotten to the point now that uh, the director who did this movie also has directed him in some other things, some of which are the Apple TV exclusive things. Yes. He's kind of fallen into that groove of I don't have to make it so difficult for myself to make a movie and compete with all these people and fight for the roles, etc. Yeah. They just say, Tom Hanks, you want to make movies for, Am for Amazon? You want to make movies for Apple? Like a couple of guys have gotten a sweet deal like that and they just get to kind of agree to do whatever they want. They have right. a lot of creative freedom right. and they can do it in their time. Yeah, they can basically pick the projects and then the studio will adopt it because you say yes to it. Yeah, that's, that's essentially how it goes. That's a pretty sweet deal for someone like Tom Hanks. Right, think about it. I think nowadays, Apple TV and Amazon, a lot of these different big streaming services, they are going to the studios and saying, we got this, this one actor that you really want. You want him in your movie. If you want him, bring your project over here and sign it to us exclusively. Apple is barely ever involved in like producing these movies. It's just them kind of paying for it. Because they want to get the, the the next big thing from Tom Hanks. They need the content, and it's a big sell. Yeah. It's a huge sell when you get an exclusive deal with that man. Much like how Adam Sandler like signed like a six-picture six deal movies. with Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Because people want to go out and see the next Adam Sandler movie, regardless of its quality. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... 
not all people. No? We haven't watched a single one of them. God, I haven't seen a brand new Adam Sandler movie since we watched Uncut Gems, which was a fantastic movie. And we didn't even see that right away. No. We're we're slow. That's why we have a whole podcast, That's guys. The thing, Bear though. with us. I, I don't really need Adam Sandler's shtick anymore. And we're way off on a tangent here. So <laughs> I just don't need to see him being his Adam Sandler weird self anymore. That was the 90s. I don't need that shit anymore. <laughs> I don't want to see like the weird, goofy man boy Adam Sandler anymore. I want to see the more grown up adult actor version of Adam Sandler with maybe a little spice added on top. Listen, that is some of the best stuff that comes in these guys' careers. When they grow up doing comedy and they get to the age to do drama to bring it back, Tom Hanks is doing the same thing. Absolutely. We talked about it in the first and second episodes of this series. That's why we're doing this series. He started his career... You know, you don't think of him as a comedian, but look at his body of work from the 80s. He started in Bosom Buddies, a TV show that would never be made today. And then he made a bunch of stupid comedy. And then he graduated to this stuff. And he gets to make some really great movies because he's a really talented guy. And he also kept some of that comedic charm along with him. Because back in the 90s, he, he also did a movie like Toy Story. And that really endeared him to, like, kids and families. And he's made three more of them since then, decades apart. So he's been able to keep relevant to a lot of different age groups as well. Well, that is one thing that makes this movie stand out in his career is he doesn't get to do levity in this movie. There is, like, nothing that is funny. No No moment where he's cracking jokes. He doesn't smile, I think, at all. He's kind of, like, cracking the whip at the guys who are kind of fucking around on on their coffee break. Yeah, coffee break's over, guys. Coffee break's over, guys. Get out here. And when he comes down after the first attempt for, uh, from the pirates, he comes down there where everybody's already talking. And, like, the union guy comes up and says, <laughs> I've been doing this for 25 years. I'm not going to take a bullet for anybody's cargo, which is the correct opinion to have. <laughs> but... Tom Hanks is there saying, you know what? You fucking guys signed up for this. You need to be on your battle stations, essentially. Well, when they do the drill, like he says, okay, we've been getting these emails. There's warnings of pirates. He doesn't tell them why. He says, we're going to do an unannounced drill. As you should. You should never tell people a drill is coming. Of course. People are terrible at reacting. They'll think it's fake. It's a mistake. Yeah. The alarms are just going off They're just going to fuck around. But even these guys who are given an unannounced drill are still kind of fucking around. They're so slow and they're just strolling and like kind of putting on their their jumpsuits and they get there and crank the hose in place. And it's so just like, guys, if this was a real emergency, you'd be in trouble. And then 10 seconds later, it's a real emergency. (laughs) And they're lucky that the first time they're able to outrun them because they barely do it. They barely are able to get ahead of these pirates. Right. And the second time, they're not so lucky. And they say it. Yeah, these guys are going to come back. And they do. And they get on that fucking ship. Yeah. So speaking of getting on the ship, this is where I want to transition to us talking about the score. Because we haven't really gone in depth about that. So you're right. There's a lot of music that is meant to evoke very intense feelings. The entire movie. But where it really stood out to me was when they are being chased by the pirates the second time and they've got the ladder and there's like the fire hoses are going off and they're about to come. It's like really intense. And then the second the ladder hits the boat, it shifts 
into like a, even a more intense kind of music. Did you catch that change? No. Yeah, it, it goes from subtle unease to absolute Shit's intense on. shit is on. And then it goes until they basically get on the bridge. And then the music dies again. There's a lot of ebbs and flows of that music. Yeah, because it goes into the other thing I said, where half the intensity of the movie comes from the music and the other intensity comes from the cacophony of these guys just yelling in their language to these other white men who do not understand anything. And they're just freaking out with their hands up saying, I don't want to die. Well, and everybody is yelling at everybody all the time in this movie, which... You had talked about this in one of the recent movies we did where there was a lot of cacophony, but you felt like it worked. In this one, I think it works, but it is really intense because well, it's yeah. meant to be. Well, and part of the reason why they did it this way, the uh, the Somali guys came in having never met the other actors. The director wanted these guys to come in and start yelling and screaming in their language without having to rehearse or anything like or that. Or having met each other. Or having even met each other. They went through the entire scene. They got it on film. They he'll cut, and Tom Hanks goes up to the to the Somali leader guy and says, "Hey, I hear you're from Minnesota." <laughs> After all of that, Tom Hanks is his Tom Hanks. Self. Tom Hanks is not a uh, method actor. He is not <laughs> one who, like Daniel Day Lewis, lives the character right. as long as they're shooting it. Yeah, he just turns on and off. Whatever he is playing. And then hey, I'm Tom, Tom. Tom Hanks comes back, <laughs> which for this movie is amazing. I love that story. That is a fantastic behind the scenes moment. <laughs> but yeah, were there any other moments in the score that jumped out to you? Just the fact that the, I mean, the, the score just kept on going and it wore me out. It never let up. I, I can get that. I feel that. But I really couldn't tell you anything specific from it other than the fact that it really felt like the director was kind of leaning a little bit too much into uh, having this composer really amp up all of the all of the uh, the intensity here. When I think a lot of the scenes kind of spoke for themselves, and you didn't need to punch it up that much. I did appreciate the moments where they dropped the score. So when they cut the power and they're all in the engine room, yeah, and the guy is just like slowly creeping down the stairs trying to find the crew. The silence was way more effective. Well, and they're also emphasizing, hey, he's going to throw this pipe and try to distract this guy. So dropping the music out just makes sense. Which, speaking of that little that little scene there, it is reinforcing what Tom Hanks, his character said before. He said to his crew, hey, you know this boat, they don't. And the way they were shooting the movie, like way, like looking up at the pirate looking down, trying to find where the sound came from. The the crew member knows this boat very well. He knows that, okay, there's this pipe here. I can throw it over here. There's no sight line to that thing. We can sneak up on it. I can sneak up over here and I can get, I can grab him over here, but I can unhook the, the electricity thing here. Yeah. It's a lot of home aloneing them, you know, like leaving broken glass and hiding behind stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing that this movie did get nominated for, just like Castaway, our last Thanksgiving movie, this was a sound movie. This one got nominated for like sound editing, sound mixing, all of those different things. So I get that because there's a lot of 
engine noise and water noise and guns and people screaming at each other. That's really yeah. hard to balance when eight people are all yelling at each other who you oh, yeah. want to be able to be heard and who you need to be quiet. Right. I have a question for you. Speaking about you know people talking in different languages, do you think the movie would have been a better movie or would it would have been served by eliminating the subtitles? Because in some movies, it actually helps the audience. You may not like it. You may be a little bit frustrated, but it actually does help the audience get sucked into the movie more if you don't know what's happening, if you cannot understand the people. I think if there had been no subtitles in certain parts of this movie, it could have been really effective because there are scenes where it doesn't matter. You know what they're saying without knowing what they're saying. Like when they're on the lifeboat, He's sitting there completely lost because they're all just screaming at each other. Mm-hmm. But even he says, well, it sounds like there's trouble. Right. Like you get inflection. Like it doesn't matter the language. You can tell what people are saying by how they're saying it. There you is, know what kind of mood they're in. For there sure. is an entire TED talk about a guy where he says, if I just speak a certain way, you'll think I have a point when yeah. in fact I'm saying nothing. And he rambles yeah. on for 20 minutes saying absolutely nothing. But because he does it with the inflection of a TED talk, it, you think he's fucking brilliant. You're just like, yes, amazing. <laughs> but when you actually listen to what he's saying, it's fucking nonsense. Yeah, just saying no- nothing but gibberish. And having it be, oh, yes, yes, that was very intense. (laughs) So the same thing could apply here. They could just be saying nonsense words Mm -hmm. and screaming, and we would still be like, this is a really scary, intense situation. But my my question remains, do you think it would have been a better movie? Would it have served the audience? I think for this kind of movie, knowing the target demographic that probably wouldn't saw this, they wouldn't have appreciated it. Oh, fuck the demographic. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't think... I think if you did it somewhat, I don't think you could do this whole movie where they had no subtitles. I think even I would be fu- frustrated by that. I'm not disagreeing with you, but it, it, it is an interesting question when you have a, a whole lot of people on screen who do not speak the language of the targeted audience, like you said. The fact that some of the pirates do speak English, or at least broken English, helps, I think, the movie very much so. But I do not think that the movie would have suffered if they chose to not subtitle it. It would certainly have been interesting. Mm -hmm. I think people would have talked about it and said, guess what? You don't get anything. All you get is them yelling at each other in Somali and you have no idea what's going on as an audience member. Of course, the audience is going to be frustrated by it. I would have been frustrated by it. But as a filmmaker, you have to make choices sometimes. Like you said, this is a dad movie. Dad movies don't get to be complicated. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's interesting when filmmakers decide to challenge the audience in that way. Like, we have watched some movies where they just don't give you the captions. You don't get the subtitles. Yep. You just have to be confused. And you always remember those when it happens. All right, Trent, do you have any other items from this movie you want to cover before we get too far along in this podcast? Well... I want to point out some of the things that I read about some of the the stuff that didn't actually happen. The flourishes they added for dramatic effect. Yeah, the the little uh, artistic license that they took with uh, some of this stuff. Uh, First off, Captain Phillips does not start writing a note to his family saying goodbye. No. That never happened. That's that's very elevated. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next thing was 
uh, so Captain Phillips gets gets out of the boat. He gets back onto the ship, and they're going to treat him, and, he, and he's co- totally in shock. Well, apparently in real life, he was actually fine. Immediately after. Immediately afterwards, he was just fine. He was maybe joking around with people, and he was just walking around like normal. But it wasn't until he, this is according to him, of course, but it wasn't until he went to go to sleep that night that he couldn't sleep. So I believe that entirely. But I think the scene in the infirmary at the end of the movie was a better movie ending by far, rather than the what actually happened. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Uh, and as long as we're talking about the infirmary thing, there's a story in the IMDb trivia about when they were filming this scene. The woman who is treating him is a real infirmary doctor on this sh- on this military ship. I kind of figured just by her delivery. She her demeanor. Didn't, yeah, she yeah. didn't strike me as an actress. She seemed yes. very like a person who knows how to do this and is just doing it the way they would normally. Exactly. And that was her direction. But the first take that, the, that they had with this scene... She was so starstruck by Tom Hanks being in her infirmary <laughs> that she just couldn't get her lines out. And Tom Hanks told her, you know, I'm the one who's supposed to be in shock here, not you. <laughs> so that kind of, you know, cleared the air a little bit. And they were able to go on with their second take. And that take is what is in the movie right now. And one little addendum to that, the actual captain of the ship that they were shooting on witnessed the scene happening, witnessed the second take. And after he saw it, he remarked, you know, I've seen people who who were in shock. That right there, that looked real to me. That looked like a guy who was in shock. Oscar nomination for you, sir. Right there. <laughs> cannot have a better, a better recommendation from a guy. So Trent, something you said in there made me remember a story that I don't think I've told on this podcast yet. Have I mentioned, even to you, that I have two uncles that have been in a Tom Hanks movie on separate occasions? I don't think so. Okay, so one of my uncles was living in Washington, D.C. at the time they filmed Forrest Gump. And so there's the scene where he returns from Vietnam and he gets his award and they're having a big rally out on the reflecting pool. I I have heard this story, but you haven't told it on the podcast. And you can actually see my uncle. He like is near the stage. And if you like are really slow, you can like pause it and catch which guy he is. He's like, I'm wearing a brown coat and I'm pumping my fist in the air. (laughs) So yeah, he got to be... Within spitting distance of Tom Hanks. He was an extra. He was an extra. Then a few years later, I had another uncle, same family, my mom's two brothers. I don't know how this keeps happening. (laughs) Different uncle was living in Chicago where they were filming Road to Perdition. And he was in an elevator, apparently, with Tom Hanks. And he told me this story that he had that moment with him where he basically said, hello, it was nice working with you and Tom Hanks was really nice to him and was just like yeah in an elevator for a change (laughs) and he's just some podunk extra on the set so I just think it's funny that even from my two three degrees of separation I have heard people say in my personal life that Tom Hanks is a really nice guy (laughs) all of the stories are true (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I just felt like oh dang I should really share this story totally If we're talking about Tom Hanks being a nice guy before we get to the end of this series and I completely forget. But with that being said, do you have anything else you want to talk about as it pertains to Captain Phillips? Uh, no, I I think that's about it here. 
it's really hard for me to put put my finger on this one right now because I had very low expectations going in and you know they were definitely met. I don't know if they exceeded it, but it's just that one last scene that put me over the edge, I think, there to are, make me care. There are moments that you felt invested, but I get that. That is completely how I felt watching it this time, and I think I will be interested to see if it sticks with me more after the second viewing. Because as I said, 10 years have gone past yeah. since I watched this the first time. But I was talking to somebody I worked with a few weeks ago, and this movie came up. Really? And they love this movie, and they've watched it many, many times. Okay. Maybe it's because they're a dad. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I will be interested for me personally and for you if it's something that ever comes up again, or it's just one of those also got nominated for Oscar kind of movies. We'll see. But that is going to do it then for Captain Phillips. We would love to know, are you a dad who loves <laughs> Captain Phillips? Or are you not a dad who loves Captain Phillips? Are you an extra who has been in a movie with Tom Hanks? Are you my uncle? <laughs> <laughs> email us those thoughts. You can email us, neverseenapod, at gmail.com. We received two such emails from people who are not any of my uncles about our last Tom Hanks movie for Castaway. The first one is from our super fan, Stephanie. She begins, I have only seen this movie once. I did not remember that he is on the island for that long. Crazy. I love Swiss Army Man. I can see how this really influenced a lot of movies and TV. I just want to watch Swiss Army Man again. That'll be next up in our long list of movies that we want to watch again. To rewatch, yeah. The plane crash scene is super scary. Yep. It is a really interesting movie and kind of cool to see his transformation. Helen Hunt moving on and having a family is so devastating. Yeah, like I was saying in that episode, if you just like disappeared from my life and then reappeared and I've moved on, what, what am I supposed to do with that information, Trent? Yeah. <laughs> she continues... My God, I hope he goes to therapy after that experience. <laughs> you would need extensive, extensive therapy. Yeah, and the fact that they don't address that at... I know it was the 90s, and, you know, mental health was not really in the forefront, but still, still. Listen, there is a gap. Like, he gets back. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen Castaway. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he survives. There is, there's a four-week time frame before he's, like, presented to the public or whatever. So maybe he got the crash course of therapy pardon the pun <laughs> <laughs> oh Betsy. anyway uh she says i agree with trent hey i hope he at least talks to the wing lady i want her to know his story and i want him to see what is in the box gotta know what's in the box <laughs> <laughs> this week we watched the killer on netflix and killing them softly on prime both were pretty good love you guys from superfan stephanie i am super excited to watch the killer i think we probably will eventually but we need to get through some other stuff first before we dive into that. There's too many new movies finally coming out. We had this long gap where, you know, we were in the pandemic times when we started this podcast mm -hmm. and stuff wasn't really being released. It was all being pushed back. Now we had a writer's strike and an actor's strike and everything is getting pushed back again. But this is the right. time where stuff that was done is still getting pushed out. Well, and this is really the best time for this podcast because all we're ever going to do is watch old movies. Like, the only new movies that we're going to be watching from here on out, for at least the, the foreseeable future, are Oscar-nominated movies. For the most part. And those are pretty much all out already. 
So we'll see if the killer is amongst them. Maybe. We got a couple more months to wait before those nominations come out. That's a Fincher joint. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing good things. Definitely. The other one I know is a Brad Pitt movie, I think, Killing Them Softly. But I don't know much about oh, it. Oh, yeah. I remember the, the marketing campaign for that one. I don't really know if it was any good or not. I mean, according to Stephanie, it's at least okay. Yeah. I think it had kind of like middling reviews, so I wasn't that interested in it. Like, the marketing was just Brad Pitt holding a shotgun. Do you know how many posters there are of a guy holding a shotgun? Or just guns in general. I, I just don't need any more of those types of movies in my life. Fair enough. But we did get a second email from our other distinguished contributor, Mitch, from Saskatoon, also about Castaway. Hello, you two. It's been a while, but I am back. Even though I've been busy, I could not resist giving my two cents this Thanksgiving. This was a great film back in the day. Tom Hanks delivers one of my favorite performances from his films, and you get a great look at a man in crisis. We all love Wilson. Rumor is it could have been Spalding, but they didn't offer enough dough. There is a reference to Spalding in this movie, (laughs) so maybe that was a a, a not-so-subtle jab at them. Maybe. For not saying yes, for not writing the check. Sometimes I think people really, really just miss the boat. Again, pardon the pun. Oh, God. (laughs) But, you know, like in E.T., the M&M Corporation had a big opportunity, and they blew it. And Reese's came in, and they got their product, and the world was never the same. Reese's is better anyway. That's your opinion, Trent. I'm right, though. I'm not saying you're wrong. (laughs) I'm just saying some people would disagree with you. All right. Uh, He continues. You guys are right on a few things. Betsy, this definitely inspired Lost, which Trent needs to watch at least three episodes. He'll be hooked. I'm shaking my head. Trent, you nailed it. Coconut is overrated. Coconut sucks. It is not overrated. (laughs) It sucks. I hate it. He continues, I'm going to call foul, though. This film was in 2000. We all know the millennium began in 2001. So you did two films from the 90s in my eyes. You need to extend Thanksgiving one more week and give us a true 2000s film. I'm shaking my head again, Mitch. No, (laughs) I disagree. This is our podcast. We can do it how we want. And as far as we're concerned, it starts with 2000, which is not the 1990s. I don't care if the millennium on a technicality starts with 2001. I remember that Prince song. He was very adamant about 1999 being the end of the millennium, which starts another decade right after that. I get that by all accounts, yes, the millennium starts in the year 2001. However, it's not the 90s anymore, so I don't care. It's 2023. We're over this argument. (laughs) We have won. You lost, Mitch. Get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he concludes giving many thanks this November for your podcast. Distinguished contributor Mitch from the one and only Saskatoon. Well, thank you, Mitch, for the email. Yes, thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Stephanie, for those emails. We would love to hear more from all of you about any of our Thanksgiving movies or any of the rest of the films we've done this month or any month. There's a lot of them to choose from. We don't care if you go back in the archives. We'd love to hear from you. Over 280 episodes, Betsy. How did we get here, Trent? Holy crap. (laughs) And it's only beginning because... I keep on teasing it. There's a big announcement coming at the end of the year. I'm not going to say anything about it yet. You just be quiet. I'm just going to keep on teasing it. quiet. I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) But for now, email us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on any of our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. You can send us a message on there as well. 
We would love if you would go write us a review, tell people how you feel about the show, only the good stuff, if you please. And rate us five stars. Speaking of the good stuff, rate us five stars on any of the podcast platforms that allow you to rate us. But that is going to do it for Captain Phillips. We have one more episode of Thanksgiving to bring to you from the 2020s. This decade. From this decade. We are going to be watching A Man Called Otto. Otto? Otto. A movie that neither of us has seen to date. So look forward to that. In the meantime, this has been another episode of Never Seen It. We hope that you have a lovely Thanksgiving during this Thanksgiving season. It's Thanksgiving season, not Thanksgiving. (laughs) This lasts the entire month. This is an entire month holiday. That's right. But until then, my name is Betsy. My name is Trent. And we thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Happy Thanksgiving.